Next is Underground History, where anthropologist Chelsea Rose brings in people and stories about archaeology and unearthing our past. Today, Chelsea speaks with artist Sam Roja Chua about his archaeology-inspired multimedia work, exploring the Chinese diaspora in Oregon, and celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. You're listening to Underground History, a collaboration between JPR and the Southern Oregon University Laboratory of Anthropology, or SULA. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose, and each month we're going to take a deep dive into little-known aspects of history in Oregon and beyond. Today I'm joined by one of my favorite Oregonians, artist, poet, author, and visionary Sam Rojas Chua. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Thank you for inviting me. So we first met a few years ago when you were an artist in residency at the Portland Chinatown Museum, and you reached out to me over email, and a fruitful collaboration, I would say, ensued. So I want to ask you, what made you decide to reach out to an archaeologist, of all things, when you started this artist residency, and did it lead down the path that you expected? Oh, wow. It's just opened so many worlds for me that I'm so happy to be a part of now. You know, part of being a residency is to really push yourself, you know, to do to challenge yourself, to do something you've never done before. And to me, that was to work with the different disciplines that's all around me. So I thought, all right, so that's going to be one of the challenges. And looking at some of the artifacts at the Portland Chinatown uh, Museum, while I was holding it, I thought to myself, you know, I can't just look at this piece of, you know, artifact as an as an object. You know, this is a subject, right? There's like stories behind this. And I need to talk to the people that curate this, that maybe they know about this piece of ceramic. Where did it come from? So I thought, okay, I need to speak to the archaeologists. And that was a challenge because it's a different language with art, right? And and sciences. And, you know, I speak very colorfully is what I've been told. So that was my challenge. How do I speak to archaeologists in a way that they can understand what I'm doing as a, re- you know, as a resident artist for the Portland Chinatown Museum? And reaching out to you, it was just perfect. You just let me speak the way I did, and you, under- you understood me, because a lot of what I do is uh, very um, somatic. So I like, uh, with my calligraphy and just any process, actually, with my art, calligraphy, and writing, it's very somatic, meaning like I like to touch objects, and what a perfect collaboration because archaeology is all about touching objects, discovering, and inquiring. That's, oh yeah, I love that idea of object as a subject because I can really relate to that. And I remember talking with you early on in your research after you'd gone and visited the Kamwa Chung State Heritage Site in John Day. Mm-hmm. And this, for those who don't know, it's a museum and in a state park, which is somewhat of a time capsule of this merchandise store and apothecary run by Lungan and Inghe for decades. And it's packed with dishes and medicines, assorted household mm-hmm. items and furnishings. And I've spent so much time both in that building and excavating outside of it. Yet when you told me about your visit, I was blown away by how little I'd actually been noticing. And in particular, your story about how items on the wall in Inghe's bedroom, you know, how you like noticed those and, and they led to, to some thinking about that. So can you speak a little bit about that and how it inspired you? Yes, of, of course. Thanks, thanks again for asking about my experience there. It was quite an amazing experience for me going into uh, the Kamwa Chung building. I was really interested in I wanted to find out if there was any audio documentation of them. I wanted to hear their voices, and I wanted to hear sounds from that time, but none of it was recorded. We have photographs, but we don't have the the voices of Lung An and Doc Hay 
And so I brought in my um, audio uh, equipment. I do a lot of field recording. And what I did was uh, I was walking around the space after Don Merritt had closed the door. And it's just such a time capsule, right? Uh, of just the silence in there. I was walking around just recording ambient sound and, uh, and realizing that this is not silence. You know, this is this is something else. Something else is in this room that's very loud. And what I mean by that is that the walls of the Kamwachung, the, the wood, the wooden panels, the wooden uh, structures there, is just just soaked with with uh, fireplace soot and, and 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 smoke. And when we speak inside, when we speak, there's a you know there's vapors that come out of our mouths. So. The walls there are saturated with all the conversations that they both had and people that visited them. And that excited me even more because I really felt like I was capturing the sound of the walls of all the conversations through this ambient silence in the room. And walking into Doc Hay's room, there's this, to answer your question, there's this uh, particular script that's on the wall. And I had it translated. And I just thought, what an amazing script to walk into a room. It's the first thing you see is this divination script that said that has something to do with stars and mountains and health. And to put that right when you walk into a room says a lot, I thought, about Doc Hay, which just took me to wanting to find out about more about him, you know, behind the scenes. What was on his table? Why was the clock stopped at 904 a.m. or p.m. What does that mean? You know, or I don't know if that it was really stopped at that time. But what is the, what is the time saying? What is the clock saying? What is what are the, all the implements around his bedside table say about him? And that just took me even deeper to the inquiry of history and people in history and Chinese diaspora, et cetera, and all, all the way to what I'm doing now. Yeah. And, it, you know, that really reminded me that I, you know, I spent so much time on logistical aspects of these things, like how, what's here, what does it date to, all that. But I hadn't taken time mm. to envision how the space was being experienced. And since that conversation, I've really tried to lean into that. And especially because Ng Hay, who referred to Doc Hay because he was a prominent local a medical professional in the region, mm-hmm. he was almost completely blind toward the end of his life. And so some of the things in the house, they may have been positioned to help him navigate the surroundings, maybe the way sound echoed off the walls also was a way that helped him kind of position himself in that building. And so do you think your position as an artist and the ways in which you're really using all your senses senses when you visit these kind of sites, do you think it's really helping you connect with, you know, the individuals in the past? I, I, feel, I feel that it does because I'm sort of um, wanting to amplify the quiet. And what I mean by that is like is are the stories that aren't the, the people and the stories that aren't being mentioned anymore. And as an artist, I, I just feel that um, there's this personal connection to who I am living this time now, revisiting people back then, and amplify some of their stories through my way of processing and understanding uh, their lives. You're listening to Underground History on the Jefferson Exchange, where we explore little-known aspects of our history in this region and beyond. You can find us online at jeffexchange.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose, and today I'm speaking with artist 
Sam Rojas Chua about his work with the Oregon Chinese Diaspora Project and much more. So, you know, in addition to reminding me and my colleagues to like look up and notice things on the wall, you know, I wanted to, to get back to that idea about you listening. So you're paying attention to the sound, not only of, you know, what's actively happening in buildings and spaces today, but also, like you mentioned, how it might have sounded long ago. So can you talk a little bit about your sound recordings and, and what they brought up for you and how you how you use them or how you thought you might use them? When I first uh, arrived at Camp Wachung, um, I was I was there a little early because I wanted to record some bird songs, some so some bird calls. And while recording bird sounds and also just the wind blowing through the trees, I was immediately um, inspired by thinking about these are probably not the same birds, of course, that Ping uh, Hei and Lu Han heard, but they're descendants of those birds. So that even so that just you know, sort of lifted me up a little more of like, wow, the possibilities of, of sound recording here. You know, here we're touching, we're not touching directly or listening directly at the birds and the sound of the wind and the trees, but chances are these are the same sounds they heard when they opened the doors and opened the window. And I also recorded some creek sounds when uh, Don Han, who's a colleague of yours, uh, uh, took me to the mountains uh, to look at the, uh, the mining sites. I was recording creek sounds as well, not just putting my audio or my, my microphone on top of the water, but actually brought up um, hydrophones. I wanted to uh, embed my microphone in the creek, in the river, to get more of a sound that's minus the air, minus the bird sounds, but just pure soil and water, water going through rocks. And that brought on, again, to this time capsule that you mentioned earlier of this is something that's sort of untouched, right? Because it's, it's, it's underground. It's, it's underwater. You know, it, it, there's life under, underground, underwater. Yeah. Uh, another... <laughs> so cool. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I was so inspired by your conversation with, I believe her name was Rosie Grant. Uh-huh. From, from, your, from your last episode, uh, listening to that podcast, I was like, wow, these are my people, right? Going back to history and not, not afraid of talking about death and dying and people who have passed on, right? And I was just so inspired by that, Chelsea. So I want to thank you and Rosie for that conversation. Oh, thank you. Awesome. How fun to, to drop another episode. And <laughs> that's so great. And, you know, I think that that's, that's such an interesting point that you made about is you filtered out all the other ambient sounds and you just focused on the ancient sound of water. And so that really is a connection through time, through the men who would have been mining out on these sites, you know, well over 100 years ago. And that's such a cool thing that I never thought about. You know, I'm looking for the tin cans they dropped or whatever, but not necessarily mm-hmm. thinking about what stayed the same. Yeah, yeah. There's also an audio recording of, um, I, so I embedded a contact mic. I dug the ground about, about a half foot down and placed a contact microphone and covered it back with earth and had Don Han sort of like walk on top of <laughs> where we dug. So we were walking around. So I have this, again, it's not the sound of the miners going up the hill and the mountains, but it touches on that. We can hear what it would be like, what we could, we could hear what the mountains were listening to as oh. the miners were up there. Yeah, to right. flip so, it around to the other perspective, not just so the just, people. Yeah. yeah, so capturing that, I feel, may fill in some of the holes in research. Like, yeah. let's, let's see what art can do. I mean, it's, I call it art. 
or you know, but it, it's really just inquiry. It's just discovery and, and fun discovery. What can we do outside of the box, right? Yeah, let's put a contact mic there and see what it sounds like with people walking, and then tie it to the context of. Of what we were doing. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, archaeology is such a team sport and we try to be interdisciplinary whenever we can. And, you know, usually what that looks like is we learn about rocks from geologists and geographers help us locate and document <clears throat> sites and historians do research. But we don't really think about collaborations with artists and in particular, like in the fieldwork stage. And so mm. I think that's such a good point that there is, it's not just interpreting our findings, but there is an actual value to having someone out there to kind of help us think about the data and reimagine the boundaries that we put on what we consider data. So I love that you bring that up because that's definitely how it felt for me. Like when you were embedded into our excavations at the Kamwa Chung, it was so cool to see things being interpreted visually in real time as we're literally digging in the soil and you're creating this big art piece there and it's very interactive. And and you, you want to speak a little bit about that in addition to kind of some of the stuff you were gathering, actually turning it into art in real time as we're excavating right nearby. Yeah, I, I wasn't planning on, I mean, I, I was planning on participating in the archaeology, but I wasn't planning on, oh, wow, they're actually finding charcoal in the, in the ground. And when I when I mentioned I'd like some of the charcoal to embed it in the ink there I already had, even made it made the experience so much more uh, wonderful and beautiful and exciting. So again, again, another plug for people who haven't done archaeology, you know, if, 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 if there's an archaeology expedition or an invite for you to come and visit, do it. It's so much fun. <laughs> and but I just I just want to clarify for those listening that yeah. when he talks about the charcoal, we were excavating in this site and there was a bunch of charcoal. And so that charcoal was being given to Sam and turned into the ink that he's making art with in real time. So I just want to make sure our listeners catch that detail because it was really cool. Yeah, and it was so participatory, uh, and everyone participated in it. And I, and because of that, I, I really felt that I was part of the team, right? Even with uh, my my experience with uh, collecting some of the some of the artifacts and finding some things and, and filtering things out, and once uh, once it was put in the Ziploc bags, I, I believe the process is to also uh, put the initials of who was at that site just to double check. And when they put my initials on the Ziploc bag, oh, I was just so happy. I felt <laughs> like, okay, I'm I'm the archaeologist for today, you know? Yeah, well. you that, were part then, of the team. <laughs> yeah, and that was great. And then meeting uh, Maddie, who is the daughter of one of the archaeologists, I, I wrote a poem for her that I, I'd, I'd really like to read because it's really inspired by her and her inquiry. And she was so much part of that archaeology team. And we are about to hear a poem written by Sam um, in honor of Madison Noggle, who is the daughter of my colleague Katie Noggle, and who had the pleasure of getting to work with Sam and as part of this experiential art project during our excavation. Does that it kind of, is that a good introduction to what you, you want to read, Sam? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. So we created, well, I created um, some art while the archaeology uh, archaeologists were working, and uh, I took about maybe a twenty foot scroll, uh, maybe sorry, about fifteen foot scroll, and I was uh, creating some calligraphy on there. And Maddie, who's the daughter of Katie, we're just asking these wonderful questions about what is art, 
and what are you doing? And can I do this too? So, of course, it was all that invitation. Uh, those questions inspired this poem called A Reason to Gather Around Paper. And the squirrel that I mentioned uh, was torn up at the, uh, at, at, at the end of the, uh, of the archaeology gathering because it was important for me to not so much highlight my work, but I wanted to, for it to be to sit alongside the artifacts which are uh, which belong to the ground and and after after it's documented. Here's a poem called "A Reason to Gather Around Paper" for Madison Noggle. It's out of luck that I find myself in places where I find two souls that fit a dream about walking in a forest where I am picking and eating fruits in the shape of shoes I once wore. When I was a boy, I purposefully scuffed my shoes to spell my name on the floor with its dark rubber to say, I'm here. I, too, would like to be someone and be driven around side of mountains where I can press my ears and listen to distant cousins find light inside the gold in all of us. And here I wrote a scroll with a girl wishing for the day she would fly with her drawn butterflies. Is this what art is? she asked. And I said, we will have to wait until the sky tells us to find the little tears embedded in our joys. It's there that art will reveal itself as vapor on metal or as a door and a chimney on ceramic containers of soy. It is then art will say, I've been looking for you. I've been living inside the tiny bones inside your ears and a history embedded in your walls. So we must keep listening, I told her. We must keep listening. Oh, Sam, thank you for sharing that. That was so beautiful. That was so beautiful. Thank you. And, you know, I want to kind of follow up on something you mentioned in leading up to that is, um, you know, you made this beautiful scroll, but that wasn't the the end where that, that piece of art ended. And I remember at the end, like you talked about, we all had dinner and then we all got to participate in tearing up this scroll, which was, which was really interesting and cool and also felt very taboo, you know, to ruin something so beautiful. But I love the way that you're kind of thinking about it as situating yourself and your art as part of this story and as part of this continuum of, I guess, of time, that it is an artifact and it's a moment in time, just the same as like a broken dish or something like else. Is that kind of what, am I interpreting that right, the way you're saying that? Oh, yes, yes, you are. A lot of my work is very ephemeral, so I do, I don't want to say destroy my work, I do kind of give it, I just say I give it back to the earth. You know, not not all of my work, uh, I do that too, but this particular one, it was very important for me to, I didn't, I didn't want my, my, the art to be, the squirrel to be um, put up on a wall. I wanted it to be shown as it was artifacting. I don't know if that's even a word, but it's like this, this <laughs> it was, it's, it's art, you know, it's artifacting right in front of our eyes. And that's sort of, that's what I wanted to convey to people that the beautiful things that we hold now, you know, is artifacting, you know, putting the verb in there. And um, in the Portland Chinatown Museum exhibit, um, I created another scroll that was specifically for my mother. Um, and I used uh, an ink. I mean, going back to inks, so you, talk, we, you talked earlier about um, making ink out of the charcoal, mixing that with my inks. 
I created, and this also maybe if, if Rosie is listening, she might be interested in it too, because it has to do with food. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, when when my mother died, a lot of my work evolved around um, loss and 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 the essential essential. There's there's sadness, and there's also essential melancholy that is just is all over my work. And in that essential melancholy, I feel like this is where I live. You know, this is where I find joy in living. So in creating, I created an ink out of my mother's, the ingredients that my mother used to use when she was alive. So I created ink out of soy sauce and um, vinegar, uh, peppercorns, etc., sesame oil, etc., and created um, calligraphy out of it. And then I shared that at the exhibit at the Portland Chinatown Museum. And to me, uh, so many things have just been so, uh, have, have trans- amazing things that have transpired after that exhibit and this whole experience with, with being with archaeologists and anthropologists, et cetera, that there's what was being, what I was learning by doing all of this was that there's, there, uh, there's a movie, uh, I believe it's called What Dreams May Come. And there's a line in that movie that said, you didn't disappear, you just died. To me, that was so powerful. Yeah, because people, people just people die. That's a fact, but they don't have to necessarily disappear. And I think a lot of uh, I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting feels now, Chelsea. But <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think there's something just so beautiful in looking to the past and looking at people's stories, right? And holding on to the things that they have. Another example is that video that's that's on YouTube of you looking at the shirt of looking at the nooks and crannies of a sleeve, yeah. right? It's, there's so much more to a sleeve. And I, I, I think you remember I created a, an eight-foot-by-eight-foot eight, eight eight, eight panel of sleeves that I dyed the color, uh, close to the color of, of what the Chinese miners would wear, which is like a dark blue or, or black shirts, and created this eight-foot-by-eight-foot eight, eight foot installation of sleeves dyed with that ink, and then and then shaped it in the Chinese character for person, and for me that was really important to create because um, I wanted that the humanity inside of it. I wanted oh I wanted humanity to be part of it. I wanted it to be a part of what you share with when you say this is not Chinese Chinese Oregon history. This is Oregon history. You know I, that was so inspired by that. And because of that, up the top of that panel is uh, my mother uh, had a brocade uh, dress, and I took part of that dress and put it on top of the character for person in, in that sleeve um, installation because I wanted to make sure that the women behind the stories of the women behind uh, the Chinese miners and the Chinese laborers, et cetera, and uh, was also part of the story because there were sisters and mothers and aunts who worried about, you know, their brother or their cousin or their, you know, husband. Yeah. And to me, that was important to have that aspect as well. Oh, I love that. You're listening to Underground History on the Jefferson Exchange, where we explore little-known aspects of our history in this region and beyond. Today... Uh, we are talking with Sam Rojas Chua, um, poet, um, visual artist, and I'm Chelsea Rose, your host. I should probably mention that as well. <laughs> so I wanted to, you know, follow up on some of this stuff because I, 
you know, to me, you've always been kind of an anthropologist disguised as a poet because the way that you are thinking about these things, it is, you are treating this stuff like artifacts. And I really appreciate that because as archaeologists, you know, the stuff is always a means to the end, which is the people. And it represents, you know, the choices and opportunities and experiences of the people that made and used and transformed these things. So the mm. fact that you in real time recognize that about your work um, is is such an interesting thing. I think that um, makes, I don't know, I think that really adds to the way in which you can engage with especially these um, historical events and places. I think that's so cool. So I wanted to return to when you were talking about visiting um, some archaeological sites out way out in the forest with Don Han and looking at these these mining sites and recording the sounds of the footsteps because in addition to um, you know seeing what it would have found, uh, sounded like, you were actually also seeing like boot remains and some of the artifacts. And um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to, to hear a little bit more about your experience out there, seeing kind of the, the the garbage, I guess, is really what a lot of that is of what people left behind and then how you're finding so much value in it as these connections to the people. I saw that whole experience as an invitation to actually go to the site. Uh, I've seen a lot of videos that uh, of, of just talks about these sites, but there's another level of understanding that happens for me and also for people, I'm sure, when you actually visit these sites. Um, of course, uh, with, with the care, with a, with, with a guide, of course, right, um, to, to, to help explain what you're experiencing, what you're listening to, what you're touching and not touching and leaving back on the ground. There's, there's a respect for that. So all of that became an invitation that just took me to, uh, in my own in my own work, uh, and apply that to what I'm doing now. So with this uh, respecting the materials that I that I that I'm using, let's say um, I, I recently bought a used uh, uh, Walkman, thinking about wow, who used this? What kind of music did they listen to? You know. <laughs> how once uh, once they played the song, how high did the volume come up? Was it a, did they you did they listen to um, classical music? Did they listen to rock music? So again, all these materials around me, you know, they're modern equipment, but we can see uh, for me for me uh, the the person behind it or the idea of the person behind it, that this is someone that you know that put that put this material together for me to use. So there's that respect there and that whole experience of going up to uh, to the hills and, and, and John Day um, really amplified that that respect of of what archaeologists and anthropologists and geologists are doing and the preservation and the you know, and the con- uh, conservation of, of the land. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And, you know, I know for us, we want to continue to invite, um, of course, you're always welcome, but other artists out into the field with us to kind of continue to to see what we can learn and, and um, you know, to kind of share these experiences. But I'm wondering for you in just the, the minute or so that we have left, if you could just really quickly talk about what you hope to do next. Are you looking for more Oregon history stuff or contemporary things in society that are drawing you to it? What's next for you? <laughs> What's next for me is to continue talking about my experience with all of you because okay. it's just yeah I'm I'm you know it's it's a new it's a new vessel that I'm on 
that you all invited me to and were so open to me. So, And so for artists to work with the different disciplines, to deepen their understanding, to deepen their work, to deepen the relationship, and to also uh, another way of sort of explaining to other disciplines what you're doing, that, that all those other disciplines out there are listening. We're all listening to each other, and I think that's just a really beautiful thing. Oh, that is. Thank you so much, Sam. This wraps up um, this round of Underground History on the Jefferson Exchange, and I just really want to thank you for sharing your your art, and it's been so great to collaborate with you, and I look forward to <laughs> to being out there in the dirt with you again. Yeah. So how do people find you if they want to learn more about your work, hear more of your poems, see some of these visual art pieces? Do you have a website sure. you want to send people to? Yeah, I do have a website. It is samrojaschua.com, S-A-M-R-O-X-A-S-C-H-U-A. And uh, you can also Google it. Use Google Voice and it'll actually pop up. Oh, great. So <laughs> I, have, uh, I have social media. I have Facebook and also Instagram, but more Instagram. Great. Well, and we'll also post that in the show notes as well. And you can find Underground History online at jeffexchange.org or wherever you get your podcasts. In celebration of Asian American Heritage Month, Sam Rohachua will be presenting his multimedia work and an account of his time as artist-in-residence at the Portland Chinatown Museum tomorrow, Saturday, at Grizzly Peak Winery in Ashland. The event is free and starts at 3. Visit grizzlypeakwinery.com for more information. <laughs>